You know I'm getting it hot as the Kennedy, you know And I keep the chrome bat swinging, slinging that iron Pitch on the block like Nolan Ryan Welcome back to Smarter Than the Average Bear I'm your host AJ, better known as Bear And this is week two of our 2021 MLB regular season breakdown If you were able to join us last week or if you haven't listened to last week, I'd I'd suggest going back and checking that one out. We covered the the AL East last week. uh, and We laid the foundation for how we're going to approach these episodes, what we're going to cover, what we're going to talk about, as well as some uh, additional moves and rule changes that have taken place in the MLB uh, over the offseason and what will be into place as we look into the 2021 season. So if you've got a moment and you haven't, go back and check out that episode. But for today, we're jumping to the National League where we're going to cover the East Division made up of the Braves, the Marlins, the Mets, the Nationals, and the Phillies. A lot of things to to look into when breaking down this particular division, but one thing that I can say for, for certain is I think this is the best division in baseball coming into this season. Um, you had three of the... Let me see here. You had one, two. Yet two of the five teams make the the playoffs last year, uh, and one of the teams that didn't make the playoffs last year was the 2018 uh, World Series champions. So a lot of good pieces in there. I think that um, one of the things that jumped off the page to me uh, when breaking down this particular division would be. The offense, um, a lot of pretty solid offensive production uh, from top to bottom. I, I think that when looking at this particular season, there's just so much that uh, is returning for these teams, but also just in general, like I just think they're good basket or good baseball teams that are put together. And so I'm really looking forward to a lot taking place in the NL East this year. But let's go ahead and jump into some of these breakdowns and. Look at who we've got. So, starting with the Braves. Uh, the Braves ended up winning the division last year with a 35-25 record. Made it into the playoffs, won a couple series. Ended up losing 4-3 to to the Dodgers, who obviously went on to win the World Series last year. Pretty, um, pretty successful year, I would say, if you're a Braves fan. Uh, probably still some heartache there from being up 3-1 to in that series and not being able to close out the Dodgers. Um I think a lot of that played into issues that they had around their pitching staff, but uh, I think some of those will get cleared up this year. Um, and looking at their roster and what they've got bring, coming back, I think that they're in a good position uh, to really make some some noise. Um, they added Charlie Morton, who we discussed last episode, um, leaving the Tampa Bay Rays. He was a top three starter for them last year, so adding that – um, to your roster is always going to be a big help uh, if he can have some similar production for the Braves. But they also get Soroka back, uh, which is going to be big for their team because I think he was their, their opening day starter last year uh, and got hurt first game and ended up not pitching the rest of the season. So getting him back 
with the addition of Charlie Morton really allows this team to to beef up its 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 pitching and when you start to look at some of the the issues that they had last year like pitching was probably the one area that they could have um produce better in and probably end up beating the Dodgers and potentially shaping themselves up to to have a run at that World Series. For for the rotation wise, those were some pretty positive moves. Um they also re-signed uh Marcelo Zuna, which is big for their team and their offense. I think that he had a really productive year for the Braves. Um coming over from St. Louis and so uh, I'll be interested to see what happens with him uh this this season now that he's gotten paid but that was a big a big keep on their team and not letting him go to another uh competitor in 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 free agency so that was a big a big plus for the Braves as well. Looking at their breakdowns from last year, uh they were number 1 in hits. They had the most hits in the league. They were number 2 in runs scored and they were number 2 in home runs. So a ton of offensive production for the Braves last season. They were third in the amount of walks they earned. Uh, they did have the third highest number of strikeouts, which uh, doesn't necessarily shock me that much because they had the second highest batting average uh, as a team as well. And so what that's telling me is they're having really productive uh, approaches at the plate. Like you'd like to see that strikeout number reduced a little bit but you know if you're top three in walks home runs run scored hits and batting average I mean you're really putting yourself in a position to be successful from an offensive standpoint they also were 18th in steals so middle of the road in steals in general there wasn't a lot of base running last last season um, at least to what I would consider a lot of base running so uh, middle of the road is about fine. That's where a lot of teams are going to end up in that that midpoint of 25 to 35 steals as a team. Um, but then you start to look at their, their pitching, and, and this is where it, it falls off a little bit because they were 15th in ERA, and they had the 11th most hits given up last year. So like I mentioned before, like they, they, they had all the pieces – uh, from an offensive production standpoint, to really be successful in the year, pitching what, is what really hurt them. And so getting uh, Morton and uh, Soroka back, or excuse me, getting Morton and having Soroka come back really puts your team in a position to to be, uh, I think, abundantly successful this year. Um, biggest questions that I have for this team coming into the season are, uh, can the pitching, will the pitching develop to the point that they need it to? Um, I think that that along with point two, which is the Braves have the bullseye on their backs. I mean, outside of a couple teams out in the NL West, I think the, the Braves are the prohibitive, prohibitive favorites for um, coming out of the NL side of things and potentially being that that team that, that portrays the excuse me coming out of the NL and being that team that is competing for the World Series and so if you're a Braves fan and you're a Braves um, follower or a player like you got to you got to pre- predict that pretty much everybody in the NL is gunning for you and your team this year so how does that morph you know your your thoughts and and your competitive nature when you're coming out onto the field 162 times knowing that 
you're not creeping up on anybody. Everybody's playing their best because they want to beat you. Um, and then my, my final question for the, the Braves is, are your stars going to show up uh, in the playoffs? And and I say stars, plural, because I think a lot of people could have performed better. But really, in particular, I'm looking at Ronald Acuna. Like, are you going to produce and be that all-star, um, you know, kind of production and, and player that we all expect you to be and that you've shown that you are during the regular season? Like, are you going to do the things that are necessary for your team in the playoffs? Uh, I believe last year in the postseason he hit 212. Um, and that's just that's just not good enough for this Atlanta Braves team. If you're really trying to make a push at that World Series, you're going to have to have more production from Acuna, uh, putting that kind of cushion around uh, Freeman and some other bats in that lineup. You really got to have that production from your all-star. So it'll be important to see what he's able to do. But all in all, I really think if you're a Braves fan, you've got to be excited about where your team's positioned for this season and and where they're really aligned to accomplish when we, when we get the ball rolling here in April. Next, we're going to look for the Marlins. Uh, the Marlins, shocker, went 31-29 and 29 last year uh, and made the playoffs. Uh, not only did they make the playoffs, but they also got um, – a win. They they ended up sweeping the Cubs 2-0 in the wild card series, uh, but turned around and lost 3-0 to the aforementioned Atlanta Braves uh, <clears throat> last year in the playoffs. They didn't have a, a ton of roster moves coming into this season, but one name that I wanted to throw out there for you all to keep an eye on is going to be Jazz Chisholm, and he's a 23-year-old kid from out of the Bahamas. A lot of mercy, and Really, he's he's trying to morph into this guy who who has a lot of potential to uh, sure up their middle infield. Um, he's I think his first at bat during spring training this year. He hit a bomb. So like I mean, if you're if you're a Marlins fan, you really want to see him in the lineup and, and showcasing that talent uh, a lot this season. And I think he can really be one of those young pieces that potentially they can build around and and develop to create a a culture in Miami where. You're, you're closer to winning a lot more games this year and putting yourself in position to particularly make another postseason run uh, that you haven't necessarily seen a lot of that success since the late 90s. Another thing that I wanted to do was shout out to the Marlins. Um, Kim, and I don't want to say her last name uh, and and perhaps misenunciate it because that would, that would defeat what I'm trying to do here, but her last name is NG. It's just two letters, but she is the first female GM in Major League history, and she's running the operations here for the Marlins. So shout out to her. Um, if for nothing else, I want the Marlins to be successful to showcase that women are are more than capable of running these positions and should be looked at um, with as much, if not more, emphasis than some of these males that have continuously kept these roles and positions and not produce any any type of uh, success from being a GM for their particular organizations. And so hats off to you, Kim. I will be keeping an eye on the Marlins and making sure and hoping, excuse me, not making sure, but hoping that uh, you all find some success this year and, and, and really elevate the winning down there in Miami. Taking a look at their statistics, the Marlins were 18th in hits last year. They were 21st in runs scored. 
They were 25th in home runs. They were 20th in walks earned. And they were 11th in total number of strikeouts and 17th in batting average. A lot of these statistics and numbers don't necessarily equate to wins, uh, which is wild that they had a winning record last year. But one thing that I did want to point out for the Marlins is they were number two in stolen bases last year. Um, and I think the reason why that stands out to me is because you're 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 creating opportunities on the base pass by being aggressive. And I think when you've got a young or a rebuilding team like and we talked about this last week with the Orioles, but that's what's important. You've got to try to manufacture opportunities when your team is not very good and successful on the offensive end. So I think that that's that's going to be important for the Marlins, but I also think this is a place where Jazz Chisholm is going to be able to to help out this team. Being a middle infielder, a kid with some decent speed, like he could potentially increase the amount of stolen bases and opportunities that they have, and hopefully drive up that that run scored number into above the you know average of stolen bases for the major leagues. On the pitching side, they were twenty first in ERA, so. They're going to have to improve there if they're going to be uh, successful in a 162-game season. Um, they also were eighth in hits given up, so the eighth most hits given up last year. Again, not going to take you very far in accomplishing your goals and things that you're setting out to do as a team if you're struggling to pitch and you're not competing on the offensive end, too. Uh, I say all that, and they got a win in the postseason last year, so if you're improving these numbers, you're hoping to see additional success for that team for next year. A couple of questions that I have for them. Are, are, are they going to be the road warriors again this year? Um, they had the second, they were tied for the second most wins away from their home stadium last year. And I think like if you could compete and be that efficient uh, on the road in a 162 game season, you're really going to put yourself in a nice spot to not only be competing for probably a wild card spot, but also trying to get yourself into a position where you're having a a a more preferred matchup when you get into those postseason situations. So it'd be interesting to see if they're still gonna be, you know, as competitive as they were this year on the road next year. And then really can they do this for a full hundred and sixty two games? Uh last year being a, a shorter season with a lot of hiccups and crazy things that are happening. Yes, it's fortuitous for younger teams to produce and play well in the 60-game season because there's just not that much time to develop bad habits. Uh, you're not getting a lot of the stresses of you know, traveling, playing a lot of games back-to-back, things of that nature. So last year was a little bit different, and I think that it'll be interesting to see if they can now put that together for a full 162 Personally, I, I do think they're going to struggle a little bit this year uh, in comparison to some other teams in their division. But uh, I do think that with the right amount of focus in their rebuild, they could potentially come out of this and look like a, a team similar to the Oakland A's or the Houston Astros or somebody um, that was down for a while and had a really constructive rebuild and put themselves in position to be really good uh, for the future. Moving along, we're going to head up north for this breakdown for the the New York Mets. And while we haven't been able to talk a lot about um, potential free agency moves that teams have made in the NL East, 
one thing that, that stuck out and was tremendous for them this year was they signed Francisco Lindor. And I don't truly care um, what his production was last year in relation to some of his other years, but he's a four-time All-Star. He's a two-time Golden Glove winner, and he's a two-time Silver Slugger. Like, that is a tremendous get for the Mets and, and for any team in particular. But uh, since the Mets were able to accomplish this, that's going to be a huge get for them uh, and this team next year. Uh, one other portion of that is they're trying to to make some moves to solidify that, that offensive core that they've already got. So now putting Francisco Lindor at the top of that lineup, getting him on base and in position for guys like uh, Pete Alonzo to come up afterwards and have men on base in a position to to collect RBIs and score runs really you know puts you in a position where your team can be successful on the offensive end. But even when you're looking at the statistics from last year, I mean they were pretty successful uh, for a 26 and 34 team. I mean they were third in hits, they were 13th in runs scored, they were ninth in home runs, they were 16th in walks earned. And they were first in batting average last year. So all of those statistics, they were above average in all of those offensive, uh, offensive statistic categories last year. Um, where they ran into trouble was they had a lot of strikeouts. Uh, they, they were 22nd in stolen bases. Uh, and then from an offensive, or excuse me, from a defensive standpoint in pitching, they were 22nd in ERA and they were 6th with the most hits given up from a pitching standpoint. That leads me to my biggest point to this team and really what's going to determine their success. What's going to happen with Noah Syndergaard and is he going to miss a substantial amount of time um, coming back and, and rehabbing from Tommy John? Uh, it took place last year. He's definitely going to start the season probably on the, I would say, 60-day IR, if I had to guess. Uh, they're going to slow play it to make sure he gets back and he's healthy. But is the team? can the team stay close? Can they stay in the hunt until Thor is back? And when he's back, if he's producing at the same rate that he was uh, prior to the injury and they're still in competition for you know the top slot or for a, a wild card berth out of the out of the NL East, like they're in great position. I mean, you're adding just a, a, an outstanding talent. Like, he would be a number one on probably 28 of the 30 uh, pitching staffs around the league. So, having him come back, and if he's in good shape and, and his arm is healthy, when he comes back and they're in the hunt, like, they've got a good, good chance to really make some noise and potentially seek out one of those uh, one of those postseason slots. So I'll be interested to see that. Um, what's what's Lindor going to do? I mentioned this before, like him getting on base gives the guys hitting behind him plenty of opportunities to have some RBIs and some additional chances to score runs. But if he can become that, that consistent 275, 300 hitter that we're used to seeing in Cleveland, like that goes a long way for this Mets team who, I mean, they collected a lot of hits last year. So, Having some having somebody on on their team with some speed and that could get on base at the top of the lineup uh, is, is a big thing, and I'll be excited to see what what that's going to do for their offense. Um, and then also, just are they going to bring back the black jerseys? 
there's there's been a lot of conversation about uh, them bringing potentially back the 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 black Mets jerseys, which I think are just outstanding from a baseball uniform perspective. Um, they've been on ice and haven't been worn since like 2011, I believe. So it'll be interesting to see if they bring those back. But I think like. You know, in baseball, black jersey probably going to provide you a, a solid 10, 15 wins on the season. So, I mean, listen, Mets, I'm not saying that you got to wear them, but if you want to make the play, playoffs, uh, I really feel like you should bring back the black jersey. So, be interesting to see what they do here. Uh, but looking forward to the Mets. I, I do think, like, for a team that hasn't really been that interesting for uh a number of years recently, I do think there's a lot of special things about this team that will at least keep it interesting, uh, especially in this NL East division, which I mentioned before, I think is probably going to be one of the best leagues in 2021. All right. So next we're going to look at the Nationals. Nationals went 26 and 34 last year, did not make the playoffs uh, and really had I think it was basically a, a World Series hangover, if I had to guess. Like, nobody produced or played well in relation to how they finished the season when they won the World Series. And so I just don't I don't necessarily think that there's anything uh, substantial that you could pull from last year's season to really build upon. I think you just chuck that one up to, hey, it's a shortened season. COVID was in play. We were coming off of a World Series. You just throw that season out the window and start over this coming year uh, and hopefully uh, see some better success, more in line with what you've seen over the last couple of years. The Nationals were pretty aggressive and active in free agency, which I think is important. Uh, They made a lot of pretty good moves, honestly. Um, Went out and added uh, Josh Bell from Pittsburgh Pirates, who has been an outstanding bat and one of the most uh, consistent bats for the Pittsburgh Pirate teams over the last four or five years. And so going to get him to to potentially lock down that first base position and having a another great bat in their lineup is a big is a big push. They also went and and, and really stabbed me in the heart. But man, they, they made some moves on some Chicago players too. Signing uh, John Lester and Kyle Schwarber, who you know is coming off of uh, back-to-back seasons of 25 or more home runs. I, he's a power hitter. He's a guy that um, will take great approaches at the plate. And if he's you know if he's playing with a chip on his shoulder, he could be an outstanding piece for this Nationals team. I you know I hated to see him leave our Cubs lineup, and I really do think that the Nationals got a damn good player in Schwarber. So. Um, Hate to see him leave, but really hoping that he, he has some success in Washington, except when they play the Cubs. Uh, and then also, they, they they signed Jay Hay, and, and we're talking about the real Jay Hay. Uh, this is Josh Harrison, uh, formerly of the Pittsburgh Pirates. Uh, Jay has been bouncing around a couple teams. Uh, he's a good friend of mine, but I really think that he will help solidify some of your middle infield problems and also just give you a guy that – when he's at his best, can play at a at a high All Star caliber level, and when you're trying to you know bounce back from bad seasons, you need guys like this in your lineup and around your dugout and fieldhouse every day. And I think that you know he's going to bring a spark with the way he plays, but also uh, just his attitude and his competitiveness is really going to help the team. So excited for my dog Jay Hay. Uh, excited for the Nationals in that piece. They did make a lot, of, like I mentioned, they made a lot of moves uh, in in the offseason, but I'm really excited to see what they do this coming year. Looking at 
last year they were ninth in hits, which is which is pretty good, obviously top ten in hits, but they were eighteenth in runs scored. They were twenty first in home runs. They were eighteenth in walks earned, and they had the second least, which I think also plays into you know having a chance to really produce on the offensive side. But they had the second least amount of strikeouts last year, uh, and fourth in batting average. So offensively, they they did a lot of good things last year, and I think they put themselves in a position to be competitive. The issue was really their pitching last year, which is wild when you think you've got a you know you've got a a, a a, a staff of Scherzer and Strasburg as your one-two, you really expect like that to carry you in your team, and they just didn't last year. Um, they they were 26th in ERA last year. They were fourth most in hits given up. And then uh, the, the final piece that was really shocking to me along with that, they were 20th in strikeouts. And when you've got Scherzer and Strasburg, you're, you're, you're banking on – having a lot of strikeouts. And for that team not to have that was just really wild to me. And so that's going to be my first point of emphasis for this team this year is can Scherzer and Strasburg get back to that dominant form that we're used to them having? If they are, sky's going to be the limit for this team because when you have an established number one and number two guy uh, going on the hill for you to start a lot of your – to start your season, to start – uh, division battles, things like that, especially when you get into playoffs, like that makes a difference. We see it year in and year out. So if they're going to get back to their their traditional ways and output, uh, I really think that you know the Nationals got a really good chance to bounce back and be competitive this year. They've got to perform better on the road, though. I know that we talked about how how well the Marlins performed on the road, but they were they were awful on the road last year. And I think that that also played into them just being bad last year. Um, that along with the, like, can they get some sort of, they've got to get that all-star output from, from Juan Soto um, in that offensive lineup too. Now you're, you're providing some, uh, some security around him with guys like Josh Bell and Kyle Schwarber. So you're, you're expecting him to probably go back to, the, the type of output that they had in 2019, but it'll be interesting to see what takes place. Uh, I think he'll probably bounce back and do well. He's still a young guy, uh, plays with a lot of energy, and typically uh, I think also with the MLB reintroducing uh, video so that you can make adjustments uh, from what you're seeing in-game. I know that that played a huge part with Javi Baez of the Chicago Cubs, and I think a lot of guys, you saw dips in their offensive performance for not having that capability. So it'll be interesting to see how things shift this year when they go back to having that uh, capability in between uh, plate appearances to go back and view the video and see how their approaches were at the plate. Last big point I wanted to say is they're now shifting the narrative to where they're not the best team in the NL East, at least starting the season. Uh, they don't necessarily have the bullseye on them. You know, last year they were coming off of a World Series win, so of course everybody wanted to show up and compete and beat them. But like, the Braves are pretty much taking that place as like the most important team in the NL East right now. And so, with the Nationals not having that amount of pressure and heat on them, can they fly under the radar and be you know this team that really mucks up everything in the NL East? versus the last couple of years where they've probably been the more sought-after team that, that 
teams felt like they needed to beat in order to be in contention in the NL East. So interested to see how that plays out. Really think that from an offensive standpoint, they're right up there with the Braves and in, in the way that they can compete. Um, but I will. It will be interesting to see how their pitching uh, performs this season, and and I'm really interested to see what Scherzer and Strasburg do. So we'll keep an eye on that. And for our final team, we're going to look at the Philadelphia Phillies. Here had a pretty slow off season. Uh, that's piggybacking on the back of a 28 and 32 record last year. Um, not what they wanted. Especially not what they desired the outcome to be when you go out and you sign a big name free agent like uh, Bryce Harper. You're, you're expecting that that team to be in competition for playoff spots and, and and to really like be in the mix year in and year out. They weren't there last year. Um, didn't really make a lot of moves in the off season. They did sign their catcher uh, JT Realmuto, and so. That's that's going to be a big deal. I mean, he's he's got one of the fastest. I think he, the average pop time for catchers is 2.02 seconds. Uh, and I think he's leading the league last year in pop time at 1.88. Uh, pop time is from the time the ball touches the glove of the catcher to the time it touches the glove of the intended fielder that he's throwing to. So normally they they, they – that 1.88 is pop time from plate to second base, which is usually the the most important statistic when they're looking at uh, catcher's pop time. But for him to lead the league in that, I think is impressive. And, and that really shrinks the opportunities teams have to run on the Phillies. But also, like you, like we mentioned in a couple teams before, when you can't go out there and, and really conjure up runs and, and put people in predicaments by stealing bases, like – it allows you to dictate what the offense does once they get on the base pass. And so that's important. If he can stay up there in the top five-ish or so in that pop time, it's really going to give their team a chance to at least minimize the amount of offensive attacks that they're going to see. The Phillies were 13th in hits last year. They were 5th in runs scored. They were 11th in home runs. They were 8th in walks earned. They had the 23rd uh, they were ranked 23rd in strikeouts, so on the lower end of strikeouts, uh, they were 8th in stolen bases themselves, so really a, a large plus-minus there for stolen bases given up versus stolen bases that they took. Uh, and then also, they were ninth in batting average last year, so from an offensive standpoint, statistically, really good numbers and where you want to see for that team. Where they ran into trouble, again, like we mentioned with the Nationals, they ran into trouble on the pitching side. Um, they were 27th in ERA, and they gave up the third most hits last year. Like You just can't be successful when those are your, your, your tiered numbers for output from a pitching staff. Like It's just not going to be fortuitous to wins, especially in this division. Um, you've got to be clean and you've got to be productive uh, in your pitching staff when you're competing you know, with the likes of Atlanta Braves, with the likes of the Washington Nationals, with the likes of the Mets 19 times a year. Like, that's important. You've got to be competitive from a pitching standpoint, and they just weren't that last year. A couple of points that I want to make for this team is they paid Bryce, now what? You know, you gave him this this extraordinary contract, which 
he deserved, you know, like I, I truly think he's one of the top players in the league. He was going to get paid like a top player. Somebody was going to do it, whether it was the Angels, whether it was Washington, Philly, whoever. Somebody was going to pay Bryce. But now that you've paid him, what are you going to do? Like, it, it doesn't really free up a ton of money to go out and make a lot of large splashes in free agency. So, like, what are you building in your farm systems to help elevate play and put you guys in potential or put you guys in contention to actually uh, be a team that could compete in this division in this side of the in this side of the 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 bracket in the NL just in general like and then ultimately like competing for World Series like that's the goal for every team so like if you're not putting yourself in a position to be successful in those areas like what are you doing as a team you know and so you paid Bryce so now what are the movements that you're going to make for this team the other port, the only, the other point, excuse me, the other point that I wanted to make was, uh, what's their, is their pitching gonna be any help? You know, we went over the statistics, but if they're not gonna improve uh, their pitching, then they're not, they're not gonna be competitive in this league. Period. Like you just simply aren't gonna be bottom third in ERA and hits given up and be successful in the major leagues. It's not gonna happen. So. Interested to see what they do there. I think from an offense standpoint, they're going to be competitive, but uh, you've got to hopefully try to have something that comes back from your pitching staff to give you a run at being, um, to making some noise in the NL East. So, got that together. Give me a second here. We're going to hear from Drake. We're going to jump into a top five real quick. Hit it, Drake. Top five, no debating. Top five, top five, top five. All right. So, in conjunction with us going through the NL East breakdown this week, uh, what I wanted to do was was switch it up a little bit. I know last week um, I did um, I did something in relation to the AL East. I wanted to do something to the NL East, but I wanted to look at NL East legends, uh, just people that I enjoyed watching play in the NL East, uh, and I tried to mix it up so that I'd have one from every team. Uh, but let's take a look at these. Number five, Mo Vaughn, Big Mo. I know he only played a year in New York, but, um, you know, he still hit. I think he hit one of the shots that I still vividly remember. I think it was 506 that he hit uh, at Shea Stadium, and it's just a moon rocket. Uh, always loved Mo Vaughn. I was a big dude, so any big dude that was just, like, crushing home runs was a favorite of mine, so... Mo Vaughn coming in at number five. Number four, and this one was difficult because obviously the Expos turned into the Nationals, but I'm going with Pudge Rodriguez, and not necessarily based on his production for the Nationals. Obviously, he was much more of a of a contributing factor when he was in Texas versus the Nationals, but uh, he did play some in his career in, in the Nationals. He's a he's a Hall of Fame catcher, uh, one of the great players coming up in my time frame when I was watching baseball as a youngster, so uh, he's going to be my pull for uh, the Nationals, and he's coming in at number four on this list. Number three, and I got to say it first, RIP to the GOAT because he was just tremendous on the mound, but Roy Halladay's got to come here at number three, and um, very much like Pudge, like he had a, a a number of just like insane outputs when he was pitching for the Blue Jays, but um, 
his work in Philly is still some of the most tremendous work that I've seen on the mound in, in quite some time. And, you know, I really felt like he had some really good years left in him. Uh, it's a shame that he passed away so young. Um, still missing him and his contribution to this game. But I had to give Roy a, sh- a shout out here. He's still one of the best pitchers that I've seen uh, growing up in my time frame watching the game. And so uh, he's coming in at number three here for the Phillies. That's Roy Halladay. Number two, we're going to Miami for this one. We're going with D-Train. We're going with Don Trail Willis. And let me tell you something, man. Like, as a youngster who pitched a lot, like, his wind-up, his presence on the mound, like, oh, yeah, he was a youngster, but, like, he was definitely one of the dudes that I looked into uh, and was like, oh, yeah, he's he's a dog. Like, he had the flat brim, cocked to the side, high leg kick, and was just out there Dylan, when I was a youngster, so uh, he put up a lot of good time. Him and Levon, uh, Levon Hernandez in Miami, and so um, listen, man. If D Train ain't in your top five, there's something wrong with you. Like I, I just don't know what to tell you. Um, and number one, going with somebody from the Braves here, and like we, I keep talking about people who stood out to me when I was a youngster. Uh, my, I. Full, full, I guess, transparency. Like, I only really watched two baseball teams growing up. Uh, I had TBS and I had WGN. So, I watched a ton of the Braves and I watched a ton of the Cubs. And those are the two teams that I've always followed uh, throughout my lifetime. And so, one of my favorite players sitting down watching with my grandparents, uh, watching TBS, was crime dog Fred McGriff. I mean, come on, man. Like, he was just the old, old black soul with that thick ass mustache. But man, Crime Dog had some at bats, and he, hey, his bat did the talking for him. Like he was a, he was a monster in those in those '90s Braves runs. And so, uh, had to had to pay my respects to to the Crime Dog here. Uh, I know a lot of my my dudes that are following this pod from from down south, like my guy Sam, my guy Justice Tyler. I know you guys remember. Uh, Fred McGriff, and and he was really one of my favorite players back in the day. It's hard, you know, not to take people like Andrew Jones, Chipper Jones for call. Like, I mean, they've they've had a ton of guys, and that's not even getting into, you know, Smoltz, Maddox, Glavin on the mound. Like, they've always had some tremendous players. But uh, to me, like when I think of watching Braves baseball with my with my family growing up when I was younger, it was always the crime dog, and so. He's coming in at number one here. He's one of my all-time favorites in the NL East. But going back to my top five, that's Mo Vaughn, that's Pudge Rodriguez, that's Roy Halladay, that's D-Train, and then that's the Crime Dog. And So those are my top five for this week. We're going to finish it up here for this week's episode. I did want to give you my projections for uh, the NL East this year. I think it, coming in at fifth place is the Phillies. Um and I, and I hate that for Bryce, but I just really don't see their pitching changing or becoming any more uh, successful this season. Um, that's not to say they can't make moves for the future, but for this upcoming season, I just don't see it. And so they're coming in at fifth. The Marlins here are slotted at number four. I think the Marlins did kind of – take an additional step last year, which I think is important. I don't think there'll be a hundred lost Marlins team like we're used to seeing. 
I just don't think that they're going to follow up last year's postseason appearance with one this year. I still think they're a couple pieces away. Uh, I, I, I do think they'll get there probably before the Phillies do. But uh, for this year in particular, I'm just not seeing it with the Marlins just yet. So they're coming in at four. Number three, I'm going with the Nationals here. Um uh, and the only reason I'm slotting them this low is because I'm still interested to see what happens with Scherzer and Strasburg. If they're if they're productive like they have been, this team, like sky's the limit. They could legitimately have an opportunity to win this division if those two are pitching uh, at the top of their games like they can. Um, they're also getting older, and I'm not saying like they're too old to pitch and, and, and contribute, but uh, age does play a factor. And so... Uh, <clears throat> I do think they'll 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 be more consistent. I just don't necessarily know if they'll take that that large leap yet back into the fold uh, where they were in 2019. Number two, I'm going with the Mets, man, and I say that because I think that they can stay close enough. I think that they can stay in the mix. I think them and the Nationals will stay pretty close to each other for the most part of the season. But I think when Noah Syndergaard comes back. Like, that's going to change that ball club. And if he comes back and he's 85%, 90% of what he used to be, they're going to be the number two team in this division. They have the offensive production. They've got the pitching with DeGrom already. Um, but when you add back in uh, uh, Syndergaard to this list, and I think Stroman, Marcus Stroman's there as well, like, they've got pitching. And so... I really think this team can surprise a lot of folks and and make a run at, at being competitive and maybe pulling one of those wild card slots from the NL side of things. And so Mets are coming in at two, so you know that only leaves one team. Set it to start the show, and I truly believe it. This is the Braves' division to lose. Uh, if the Braves come out and play how they can, especially with – the arms that they've added and are getting back this season, there's truly no reason why they shouldn't win this division. Uh, I'm excited to see what the Braves do this year. Uh, it's not so much the division I'm worried about. It's the postseason steps. Like, are they going to flip that switch and be competitive in the postseason like they have been during the regular season? Uh, and if they can be consistent with that output, they're really shaping up to become probably – one of the top two teams that are fighting for that that National League spot in the World Series. So, if you're a Braves fan and you're listening to this pod, uh, yeah, you the 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 sky's the limit for your team right now, and and the outlook should be heavenly right now on in in the beginning of March. And I think that this team's probably going to take the division, and and this is one of the ones I'm more certain of than anything. So, barring any health concerns across the Across the uh, the division, this is how I think it'll unfold. Uh, I appreciate you guys tuning in to this week's breakdown of the Major League 2021 season. Uh, we'll be back again. I might try to double up this week and release another one. We'll jump back to the AL, do the AL Central this week. Uh, so be on the lookout for that. And we look forward to seeing you next week. Peace.